0: Stand with me if you don't mind. Second Timothy chapter 1, just a couple of verses 6, 7, and 8. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Then that night at supper, it uh, turned out that Ms. Knopfssinger and I remember the words to some songs in common from a long time ago. Uh, songs like, you know, trailer for sale or rent, rooms to let for 50 cents. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, somebody said, well, we're stirring up the gift. And that may have been a gift, but it wasn't the gift of God. Okay, so Paul's talking about the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. I don't know that I understand all of that, but there's something in the Bible about the touch of the man of God. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a cell phone that needs to be turned off. That's only happened to me about three times. You're really special. I thank God that I speak on cell phones more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words uninterrupted by cell phones than 10,000 words with the cell phone ringing. There's supposed to be a little sign up there, tell me to turn the cell phone off, and it wasn't there tonight. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Heavenly Father, guide me as I preach what I believe you have laid on my heart, and I trust you have to help these people. And make this truth something that will sink into our soul. And I do pray, Lord, that we'd live it long after we've forgotten the place and the time and the people involved in our learning it. But, Lord, may it be you, by your Spirit, empowering me to speak to the heart of each person in the way that you wish to accomplish your purpose. If there are those who have never believed on the Lord Jesus and aren't sure of a home in heaven, I pray you'd save them tonight. And I pray that all of us would be obedient as your spirit speaks. Bind Satan and his demons, please, and keep them from distracting us and snatching this good seed of your word from our heart soil. And we will thank you. We praise you in advance for what we trust that you'll do during the service and in the invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to say thanks again for the kind room and all of the nice things that you did. Also want to thank the, our friends from Faith Music Missions for being here. Love to hear them sing. They they are, uh, they are got it together as well as anybody I know. I asked Brother Russ one time. I said, what's the best group you've ever had And He said, our trio. As Brother, Brother Gail Russ said that. He didn't sing in it, so he could say it. I went when the trio. I sing singing at our church. Did a recording there. Uh, Brother Ed Russ, I was thanking him for helping us out and making it writing, fixing the bad notes and all that stuff. And and, and he said uh, I said, I apologize for having to put up with us, something like that. He said, well he said, you'd be in the top 50 of any of the groups that are recorded here. I said how many groups have recorded here? He said 51. So I felt really special about that, somewhat more than that. It's like the lady I heard about was at one of these assisted living centers, senior citizen centers. And a new man came in he sat at dinner the first night and she looked right across at him she said you know what? You, you put me in mind of my third husband. That strong jaw you have, those clear eyes. Uh, that, that handsome countenance, you really make me think of my third husband. And he was quite embarrassed. He said, well, ma'am, how many husbands have you had? And she said, two. So. <laughs> if you stop interrupting, we'll get to the message and get out here a little sooner. All right. We preach against sin as preachers, and we should. But usually we preach like this. You rotten thieves that hold back God's tithe. Rather keep that money and spend it on yourself and help the gospel get around the world. God's going to judge you. God will get his tithe. And that's true. And we preach against our young people, you stinking rebels want to run out and live just like the devil. You think you can do whatever you want and nothing will happen. God won't let you get away with that. And that's true. And we say, you lazy, good-for-nothing, backslidden Christian, Christians staying home from soul winning, letting the world die and go to hell, and you wouldn't even go by and give them a gospel tract and tell them about Jesus. You aren't right with God. And that's true. A while back, one of my assistants was working with somebody, and they kind of reached an impasse. And I was talking, and I said, "You need to be careful not to treat their fear like rebellion." He said, "What's the verse on that?" I said, "God hath not given us the spirit of fear." He said, what's the rest of it? I said, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said, that person failed in all those areas. And that was the first time, maybe about 10 years ago, that it dawned on me. The devil doesn't care whether he dares you into sin or scares you into sin. But way more people are scared into sin than are dared into sin. There are way more fearful sinners than there are defiant and fierce sinners. I used to wonder, how come a nice young lady grew up in a good home, good standards of godly behavior, and some worthless grody needing a bath bum comes by and shows her a little attention and after a while she's not so sweet and pure anymore i wonder why would they do that why how come my dad was out soul winning years ago and preaching a meeting and he led a mom and a dad to christ and a boy in the family but there was a teenage girl and she wouldn't get saved and He said, well, why don't you get saved? And she said, "Eh." said, let me guess. He said, you've got a boyfriend. And you know, if you got saved, you might have to change some things that you do with that boyfriend. And her eyes got wide, and she looked at him and said, how do you know? (laughs) My dad said, do me a favor. Bring him to church. I want to meet somebody worth going to hell for. He expected some muscle-bound guy, you know, handsome, sort of like, um, um, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> sort of like Brother offspring and I think we used to be, that's it. And here come this skinny, pimply-faced, greasy-haired guy with a limp cigarette. I'm not for smoking, but if I did smoke, I'd smoke straight cigarettes, I wouldn't smoke limp cigarettes. The young lady meets the guy, and you know what? She like all young ladies, all young ladies, all ladies. The Bible's an amazing book. I'm trying to get too far off track here, but this is on point to what I'm about to say. The Bible's an amazing book. It, it knows things about us we would never have thought of saying. The Bible says men ought to love wives as they love their own bodies. And then it says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. It didn't say that about Ladies. The most beautiful ladies in this room look in the mirror and they say, Oh no, this is too big and that's too small. I gotta cover this up and I gotta highlight this and I gotta fix that. The ugliest, wrinkle faced, most homely man in this room looks in the mirror and says, Not bad. <laughs> So this young lady, these young ladies that I'm talking about, they thought they, they were ugly. They thought nobody would ever love them. They thought nobody would ever want them. They thought they'd be single the rest of their life. And some guy came along and he paid them attention made them feel real good about themselves. And after a while, they wanted them to do some things they didn't think were right, but they didn't want to lose them. They were afraid they'd be alone. And every step that was made, make it possible to take another step. And pretty soon they'd gone someplace that they never thought they'd ever go. Because of fear. You know what I think? I think the people in this room tonight and in this church and in the churches represented here that don't tithe, I think they want to tithe. I think they know they owe God the tithe. I think they feel bad every time the plate goes by and they rob him. They know the Bible says, "Will a man rob God?" But you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. They know that that's not right. They know that the tithe is the Lord's, but they're scared. Yeah. Now, there's a few in the attitudes. My money, I earned it. I'm going to keep it. Not most of them. Like the preacher I heard about years ago and the circuit riding horse and buggy Daisy. Preached at four different churches, one church a month. And he had ten children. One day he was preaching one of those churches on tithing. And there was a stranger came in, and, and they listened to the sermon. And on the way out, the man said, Pastor, I appreciated the message. I agree with everything you said. Can I ask you a question? Do you tithe? And the preacher hung his head. He said, you know, I'd like to. He said, I make $125 a month. I have 10 children. Every time we sit down at the table, there are 12 mouths to feed. I-, I preach it. It's in the Bible. I feel bad about not doing it, but I just can't afford to. The man said, I'm very wealthy. I own, I think it was a chain of stores. He said, here's my name. Here's my address. He said, you go ahead and start tithing, and any time you're short, let me know, and I'll make up the difference. The preacher was so glad he could obey the Lord. to get tithe, and he began to tithe, $12.50 a month into the offering plate, and A strange thing happened. There'd be a sack of potatoes in the back of the wagon. Somebody would shake his hand and leave a dollar or two in it. And he came to the end of a year and he had tithed every month and he never had to write that rich man. But he thought he'd better write him now. And he said, I want to thank you. You made it possible for me to tithe. Then he got into deep conviction because he realized he had trusted the word of a rich stranger and tithed for a year when God had made him the same promise a long time ago. Why didn't he tithe? Fear. I think most people don't go soul winning, they, they don't want people to go to hell. They, they think sometimes about loved ones and relatives and people that they know and they, they maybe even have an image or a thought of them burning forever and, and it bothers them. But they're afraid if they try to give them the gospel, they'd mess it up. They're afraid they'd get asked a question they couldn't answer. They're afraid that the people might be upset and that would close the door for further opportunities. There's a preacher who's out in California now. He pastored a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana years ago. It was at that time, as a Baptist preacher. He's not now. Told how when his family moved there, they were away from other family members. And there was a a neighbor lady that was older, and they befriended her. And she became like a grandmother to their children. And they would buy each other gifts. And they would celebrate birthdays and holidays. And she'd come to church a few times. But this preacher was bothered because he'd never sat down clearly and gone through the gospel with her. And years had gone by. And she was like family to him. And finally, he got under such conviction, he sat down and he opened the Bible. And he gave her the gospel and she got real quiet. And she said, let me make sure I understand this. You think if I died right now, I'd go to hell because I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. Yes, ma'am. That's what the Bible says. And you've known this all the time that we've been friends and like family. And he said, yes, ma'am, I have. And she said, and you've never told me about it before. And he said, no, ma'am, I'm ashamed to say I have not. And she said, you get out of my house and don't ever come see me again. You're not my friend. I read something from an organization called Answers in Genesis. They told about a couple illusionists named Penn and Teller, and they cautioned that their material is not appropriate for Christians to view. But they say there's one YouTube video where one of them, I think the one called Penn, tells him after one of his shows, I think in Las Vegas, a man came up and he gave him a Bible and he talked to him about the Lord and talked to him about his soul. And he said, I've written some things for you in the front of him. I, I appreciate your talent and the amazing things that you did. And, and he was told me he was a businessman. And he even smiled and he said, yes, I'm, I'm proselyting a little bit. And here's what that unsaved celebrity said. He said, you know, if you really believe in God, if you really believe in hell, if you really believe that there's eternal life, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about it? Even the unsaved world knows if you don't tell people how to get to heaven, you're not their friend. Why didn't she do that? Because of fear? Why didn't that preacher tell that lady that? Because he was embarrassed. It had been so long that they'd been together and he wasn't sure of her reaction. And the devil dares way more people, way fewer, scares way more people into sin than he dares into sin. And here's what the Bible says. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Now, if you're like me, then I'm not a super detailed person, but every once in a while I get a couple opposing truths and I try to figure out how they fit. So here the Bible says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. But then the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then it says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Yeah. So you want to help me with those? Brother Russ, you said you're the best looking one. Are you the smartest one? Straight <laughs> me out on all those. There's one other verse I think ties it together. The Lord Jesus said, If you love me, Keep my commandments. And so you could say perfect love, according to the Lord Jesus, is perfect obedience. I love my dad. He's 87 years old. He's still teaching an adult Sunday school class, winning people to Christ. The other day he led a man to Christ at McDonald's. And the guy said, how old do you think I am? And dad said, oh, I don't know, 87, 88. And he said, nope, I'm 97. Dad said, I don't believe it. He pulled out his driver's license. And his license said he was 97 and he was good to drive until he was 100. Now, dad was always fun, dad was always happy, dad was always cheerful, there was always a better place to be at the house when dad was there, and I was always glad for my dad to come home, except when I had done something I wasn't supposed to do, and my mother would say, you wait until your father comes home, perfect love casts out fear. (laughs) The imperfect love causes me to have fear. So I should always have the fear, the dread of displeasing God. I always ought to fear His judgment if I disobey. But the attitude of fear, the spirit of fear, the, the the worry about, but if I do this, that'll happen. If I take this stand, these things will take place. If I discipline my children, they may leave home. If I do right, my family may reject me. If I witness at the workplace, I, I may be made fun of, or I might even lose my job, the Bible says. None of that comes from God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, I could take a lot of time and show you in the Bible what happens when people feared. The Bible tells us that fear caused separation from God. I heard thy voice in the garden, Adam said, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. The Bible says that fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Job said, Job 3.25, The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. And Fear makes us sin. Sarah denied. Genesis 18.15, saying, I laughed not. She lied to Jesus, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. For I was afraid. The Bible says she was afraid. And the Lord said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. But I want to give you a thought and then a couple suggestions about what to do about fear. Two guys in the church. One guy loves the limelight. He likes to be in front. He likes to have attention. He likes to lead in prayer. He likes to preach in the pastor's absence. He wouldn't mind preaching in the pastor's presence. He just loves to be in front. Another guy wants to be in the shadows. He'll work all day, but don't you dare mention his name from the pulpit. He doesn't want to lead in silent prayer. And we would typically say that the first guy is proud and the second guy is humble. But I would suggest to you that they're both proud. Because the guy who wants to be in front wants to be in front because he wants to be in front. And the guy who doesn't want to be in front doesn't want to be in front because he doesn't want to be in front. In either case, it's their comfort zone and what's making. What makes them feel good? What they're happy about? But I got news for you: it isn't about what I want, and it isn't about what you want. We are not here as the boss. We are here as the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'd like has nothing to do with it. I am a soldier in His army. I ought to get up every day and salute and say, "Private, will let reporting for duty, sir." And then let Him steer me anywhere He wants me to go. And, and though the devil does scare more people into sin than he dares into sin, it's still sin, and it's still wrong and God has not given us the spirit of fear. So when you're afraid to witness that's not of God it's of the devil and you're afraid to tithe that's not of God that's of the devil and you're afraid to take a stand that's not of God that's of the devil and you're afraid to do right because you think some people may give you a hard time about it. That is not of God it's of the devil God has not given us the spirit of fear. So what do you do about it? I'm not giving you the outline real clearly because I'm saving time. I would have given you the revelation about fear, the right fear, the reasons for fear, the results of fear, and this would be the resources for fear. But We will not belabor that. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power. You know that's the Greek word dunamis from which we get our word dynamite. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power, the dynamite of God Unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Did you know that God makes available to every one of his children the power of the Holy Spirit? The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It is not about what you can do. It is about what you will allow God to do with you and do through you and do for you when you yield yourself to Him. John Van Geldren came to preach at our church for the first time some years ago. Wonderful evangelist. But Van Gelderen said as he got up to preach, I was sitting over here, and uh, he was up in the pulpit, and he said, when I was a student in Bible college, and he was at a large college at that time, had about 5,000 students, he said, your pastor came to preach in chapel. He said, there was a debate raging on the campus about the matter of friendship evangelism, and your pastor said a few words in his chapel message that effectively ended the debate. And I sat there, and I thought, I didn't know that. Now, I knew I was preaching. I knew I was there. I knew what I was saying, more or less. I didn't know there was a debate raging on friendship evangelism. I didn't know that God would use those comments to, in the words of John Van Gelderman, effectively end the debate. And I said, I didn't know that. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, That's because you didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I was just there. Does the bat know whether it hit a home run or a single? No. Do you know God's doing stuff in your life all the time you're not aware of if you're yielded to Him? And you're going to get to heaven and you're going to find tracks you left resulted in people being saved. This is not in this sermon. I'm going to tell it to you. There's a man, there's an attorney, His a friend of mine named Mike Thomas. His father's the son of Syrian immigrants. Dark skin, swarthy complexion. They called him the Turk. Worked at General Motors in Flint. Mike Thomas said, my dad never talked to me except to yell at me, and he never touched me except to hit me. One day his dad was in the restroom, one of the stalls at the General Motors plant, one of the gym plants in Flint, and stuck behind the toilet paper dispenser, there was a little tract pamphlet entitled, What Must I Do to Be Saved? by Evangelist John R. Rice. He read it, didn't understand it, folded it up, put it in his wallet. For the next two weeks, read it two or three more times. One night Mike Thomas is 11, (coughs) 12 years old, lying in his bed there in Flint, Michigan. And he hears his dad begin to sob, and then he hears him say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. And Mike Thomas pulled the covers over his head. Got up the next morning, counter was lined with empty beer and liquor bottles, and he thought, whoa, Dad tied one on last night. Mom, what's all the empty bottles for? Well, your dad took all his booze and poured it down the sink. Why'd he do that? Well, I don't know. He says he's saved. Mom, what's saved? I don't know. It's got something to do with Jesus. Has everything to do with Jesus. Later on, Mike Thomas went to school, became an attorney, wonderful Christian, uh, ran a Bible school in the Bible club in the public schools, won people to Christ, some of whom are now in the ministry today. Mike Thomas one time was helping somebody do his estate planning, and he said to the man, he said, you know, I've never heard your testimony. How would you get saved? Well, he said, I used to work at Buick. He said, I was in one of the stalls in the restroom. Somebody taking a little tract entitled, What Must I Do to Be Saved? by Evangelist John Rice, put it behind the toilet paper dispenser. I read it. I got saved. I got in church. i been living for God ever since. Yeah. Sometime after that, the pastor was gone and asked Brother Thomas to run the service on a Wednesday night. And Mike Thomas loves to hear people's testimonies. He had different folks give their testimonies. There was one visitor there that night. And, and uh, after a few people had shared their testimony, one of the members said, Mike, I've never heard your testimony. He said, You never heard my testimony? They told you the story that I just told you. You see that next Sunday morning, Mike Thomas' dad got up and said, come on, son, we're going to church. And they went not to the Greek Orthodox Church. They attended every Christmas and every Easter, whether they needed it or not. They went to the Bible Baptist Church on Red Arrow Highway. And after a couple weeks, Mike Thomas got saved. And he told that story, and the only visitor there, his eyes got wide, his mouth dropped open. When Mike Thomas got done, he raised his hand. He said, I know why I'm here tonight. He said, I used to work at Buick. <laughs> I was in the stall of one of the restrooms one day, and somebody taking a little gospel tract entitled, What Must I Do to Be Saved by Evangelist John Rice, and put it behind the toilet paper dispenser. And I read it, and I got saved. Okay. Do you know who put those tracts there? I don't either. <laughs> I have a hunch they don't have any idea what happened. But they're going to find out one day. <laughs> they're going to get to heaven, and they're going to say, I didn't know that. And you yield to God, you be faithful, you be obedient, you trust in His power, you recognize it's not what you can do. You say, But I could never, and you're always right. right. I could never. Of course you couldn't, but God could use you to do it, God could enable you. The word grace in the Bible. Basically means divine enablement. And God divinely enables us to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. He divinely enables us to serve by trusting and relying on His Spirit. And God says, you don't have to be afraid. You have my power. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Love. Perfect love casteth out fear. You know, you can say you love God, but if you wouldn't speak up for him, if you wouldn't obey him, if you wouldn't do what he said, God says, no, you don't. If you love me, keep my commandments. Suppose I'm walking down the street with my wife and some guy comes up and punches her right in the face. Terrible thing. I heard about a nun came out, walking down the street one night and this drunk came out of a bar and here's the nun in her habit and everything and he walked up and hit her right in the face. And she was shocked. People didn't treat her like that. She's obviously a nun. <clears throat> and uh, while she's kind of rubbing her face trying to figure what was up, that drunk went and hit her again, knocked her down. And then went over and kicked her, and then he got his face right in her face, and he said, not so tough tonight, are you, Batman? <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose when somebody and punch my wife, I would say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm praying for you. And he punches her again. I know this is tough. I can only imagine what you must be feeling right now. You think I'd do that? No, no I'd try to take the guy out. If I couldn't take him out, I'd at least get between him and her. Yeah. At least I could take the blows. And say, if I, and I wouldn't. Just, and if I stood there and said, I love you, I love you, I love you, I don't think she'd be much impressed. <laughs> now, love doesn't feel. Love acts. Amen. Love puts the desires and the needs of the other person ahead of their own desires and their needs and the bible says that we love him because he first loved us and god didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love if you love me keep my commandments so the next time you don't speak up and stand up and straighten up like you're supposed to just say to yourself well i am obviously not loving god might put a different cast to the situation and then the bible says god's given us not the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind sometimes we would say that a business is as sound as a dollar uh, we used to say that because the dollar was strong it's pretty strong right now compared to some foreign currencies but but the, the idea was that it was in good shape uh, we'll do our wills and we say, I, our will that being of sane mind and sound body. The Bible says God's given us a sound mind. The, the idea of being sound is the idea of being in good shape. It literally means to be disciplined. I exercise. I always have to tell people that. I always tell people I'm 62, so they don't think I'm 80. And I tell people I exercise. I exercise because they wouldn't know otherwise. Went on the elliptical machine in the motel today. They had a good one, a Precor. It's the best elliptical machine. And I did an hour. I do an hour several times a week. I'm doing so well at it, I'm about to start moving the pedals. <laughs> got my heart rate up this time. The highest I got was 151. You're not even supposed to get that high at my age. I've been doing it a long time, and and my heart is in good shape. My aerobic system is in good shape. My stomach is not shaped right, but I have an amazing six-pack lurking under these layers of fat. (laughs) But, you know, exercise is a tough deal. I lift weights at the YMCA. I've been out of it for a while. I'm getting back. Last time I went there, I lifted according to these little deals. You punch in your number, and they add up how much weight you lifted. And they said I lifted 76,000 pounds. (laughs) Now, it wasn't one lift. It took me two lifts to do it. (laughs) And I'll really do more than that when I get back at it. And I hate it all. I hate every one of those exercises. I hate the elliptical, and I really hate lifting weights. And and, and you know what, though? I don't ever do it because I want to. I do it because I'm supposed to. I make myself do it because I really don't care how old I am when I go to heaven, but I'd like to be active as long as I could. I'd like to be like Milford Biddle, 88, almost 89 years old, preached a meeting, didn't get up for breakfast, and they went in and found out he'd gone to heaven instead. That's what I'd like to be, serve God until I die, but this is the only body I'll ever have until I get to heaven, so I've got to take care of it. But the Bible says you're supposed to discipline your mind. That's good, I discipline my body. It's more important that I discipline my mind. Mentioned it a little bit when I talked about the book last night. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's really interesting. Bob Jones Sr. used to say you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. But you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. My method is to make sure there's not much material. In other words, thoughts will come in your mind. The devil can put thoughts in your mind. But you decide whether they stay there. That's right. You decide whether you deal with them. You decide whether you answer them with Scripture or not. You decide to discipline your mind. And the trouble with most of us is we listen to ourselves when we should be talking to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> your mind says all kinds of things. This is terrible. It will never get better. This is awful. I can't do that. I'm going to fail this. Oh, all. All the world is falling apart well the world may be falling apart uh, somebody said you're afraid we're going to get we're all going to get blowed up i don't think so but if we do we'll get blown all the way up <laughs> i like that old songs that i've read of all the bad news in the paper i've heard what all the experts have to say but for the child of god it makes no difference because things are getting better either way yeah and so instead of oh no I have to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Instead of saying I can't, I have to say that, that God will enable me to do anything He has called me to do. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. I've got to discipline my mind that I'd like to suggest to you that you take the areas of life where you know your thoughts are not in conformity with Scripture, where you have fears and worries and burdens and concerns, and instead of thinking those thoughts, you answer them with the Word of God. Get you some verses. The preacher will help you find them. There's a list in the book on Strong and mark down the ones you need the best. Put them on a card. Put them someplace on your smartphone or your iPad. And every time you have that negative thought, don't think the thought. Don't argue with the devil. Don't talk to him. Just get out the Word of God and read what the Bible says and discipline your mind. God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I was down in Tennessee one time. I saw this thing called bungee jumping. Sevierville, Tennessee. I thought it looked interesting. I don't have many things on my bucket lists and I don't have but I always wanted to go parasailing, I've done that. I wanted to go hang gliding, I haven't done that. Like to fly an ultralight. Probably should put that real close to my funeral. It'd probably be real close to my funeral. <laughs> and I thought it'd be interesting to go bungee jumping. And I watched people go bungee jumping. It looked scary, man. They climbed up a 75-foot high tower. And they jumped off that tower, had a little platform coming out like a plank coming out of a ship, you know, where they walked the plank. And they had a big airbag where they'd jump. they jumped. And a sign at that time said, 600,000 successful jumps. That really wasn't the number I was curious about. I was more interested in how many unsuccessful jumps they'd had. <laughs> And I talked to people, and I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And they weigh you. And they pick a cord to match your weight, and they got a harness that goes around your legs and your waist and around your shoulders and arms. And they put that harness on, and they have you climb up 75 feet in this tower. And the guy says, step to the end of the platform. He didn't call it a plank. He calls it a platform. Do not look down. Look at me. I'm going to say one, two, three, bungee. And when I say bungee, you step off of the platform. He didn't say jump. He said step off of the platform. We talked my wife into doing it. (laughs) He said one, two, three, bungee. She said her mouth went totally dry and she said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to count again. They took that cord that they'd pre-selected and they hooked it up to the harnesses around your waist and your shoulders and it had a big kind of yellow foam thing over the cord and I grabbed onto that cord and he said, Step off the platform and I stepped off the platform scared to death. They told me I didn't have to hang on. But I didn't believe him. <laughs> and I thought it'd be you know, I thought it'd be real jerky, like a roller coaster or something like that. It wasn't at all, he just kinda go. I mean, a merry-go-round is more exciting (laughs) as far as moving your stomach up and down than bungee jumping. By the time I hit the bottom of the first bounce down there, I let go. And I went up and down and up and down, and then they reeled me in. You could go a second time for cheaper, so I went a second time. (laughs) This time I went head first. And then I went backwards, and then I went backwards head first. So I've been bungee jumping four times. But you know what? Every time I do it's a little scary taking that first step. Well, okay, that's a lie. It's pretty scary <laughs> taking that first step. More than a little scary. But that's a kind of apt metaphor for the Christian life. You know, when you step off that platform and start tithing. You step off that platform and start going soul winning. You step off that platform and stand up for truth at your workplace. You step off that platform and discipline your children the way the Bible says to you. Step off that platform and do what God wants you to do, even though you worry about the results. It's a little scary, but it's a nice ride. (laughs) Not nearly as bad as you think. And sometimes you just have to say, one, two, three, bungee, and step off the platform. You'll never be sorry. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Lord, thank you for the wonderful truth from your word. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be together with your people.